Welcome to the business of beverages, drinks industry insights with makers, marketeers, and mischief. In this episode, you'll learn from one of the world's leading beer writers how each of us can make our drinks business more diverse, more inclusive, and ultimately more profitable. Hello, welcome to the Business of Beverages. Uh, I'm your host, Will Keating, and I'm joined again, once more, by Podrick Fox. I know, you keep leaving the door open. I don't know how going to keep coming in. <laughs> I'm delighted to say we're going to be joined by Melissa Cole, a personal friend of both yours and mine. You actually introduced me to Melissa, if I, you remember. Uh, I vaguely remember, yes. Myself and Melissa had quite a good day in Dublin that day. Yes, and I joined you uh, late on. I was in, I think, the Porterhouse? Yes, it was their 21st birthday. Uh, was it? It was. Uh, that is uh, not today nor yesterday. Melissa is going to talk to us about diversity and inclusion and how it can make a difference to our business, not only for all the right reasons, but also uh, from a social perspective, but also from a commercial perspective as well. Yeah, normally we start off these episodes, you ask me what I've been drinking because I do my research. Um, this week, it's it's because we're going to be talking to Melissa about diversity. It was less about the liquid I was buying, but more the story behind it. So is the company, you know, whether it's uh, whatever I was buying, do they have a good culture of uh, women in management? Do they promote diversity in their own workplace? Do they hire from the local area? So it was actually a really interesting trip to the supermarket this week just to pick something up off a shelf and do a little bit of research on my phone while I was standing there just to find out a little bit more. Because I think there's been a couple of high-profile cases, to, to us in the industry at least, of certain breweries, distilleries who have not done diversity particularly well over the last couple of years. But I think if you were to ask 99% of consumers, they wouldn't know. So I just did a little bit of shopping around, taking out the phone, Googling the name of the company, uh, who the people behind it were. And I have to say, quite pleasant that the vast majority of Irish breweries uh, have been really good at diversity and inclusion in their workforce. Uh, I've been lucky enough to work with some really talented female brewers over the years as well. Um, They actually hate being called female brewers because they are brewers, um, which is, again, an important distinction I think that Melissa makes in the interview as well, that, you know, she's a female beer writer, but actually she's a beer writer. Uh, Any particular drink that you'd recommend for people to check out? Uh, More a couple of lowlights than highlights, and I won't get into them here, but it is definitely worth doing a little bit of research before you just pick up that can off the shelf because it's got beautiful, fancy artwork. A couple of... Beers, not Irish ones, thankfully. Uh, Very sexist labelling on them. So you know that that's been run by a man for a long, long, long time. Um, One of the ones I would highlight, though, is Cloudwater Brewery out of the UK, who have a phenomenal track record of promoting diversity in the workplace. They've created some brilliant festivals, Cloudwater and Friends, where they get like-minded breweries to participate and pour along. But they've also created a fund to try and help people in either starting a brewery or learning the ropes in brewing, marketing, whatever aspect of the business, but really trying to promote it in places that wouldn't be a traditional uh, breeding ground for people to start a brewery, uh, more underprivileged areas in London and Manchester. And they're doing a phenomenal job on the social scene, I think. And you combine that with the phenomenal beers that they make, that's a winning choice. 100%. Well, let's get straight into it. Let's listen to two straight, white, Irish, middle-aged men talking to Melissa Cole about diversity. Melissa, when we last met, we were both speaking at the Brewers of Europe Forum, if you remember, in Antwerp. 
Yes. I'm surprised you were able to remember. I had finished, finished speaking in the morning, and then uh, I had a choice. In the afternoon, you were speaking, and at the same time, Rob Fink was speaking. Uh, and I thought, which will I go to? Which will I go to? And I chose Rob when I should have chosen you. You were talking about uh, how to increase diversity in, in beer, and I always thought I, I should have gone to that. I, I really have been curious ever since, and I've wanted to learn more, know more, and and really I was hoping that today you'd give us a little bit of insight into that because we are two um, almost middle-aged, um, middle-class white men, I, I'm afraid that we are part of the problem, not necessarily part of the solution. So I would love to know more about how do you increase diversity in beer and how can we help? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the first thing to do is to take that barrier down for yourself. And seeing as this is a very serious subject, I'm going to open a very serious beer. I have an all vowel because, um, you know, I haven't had one in ages. Um, it, right. We've all got a role to play. Not everybody has the same lived experience. And the most important thing is recognise that. I can't speak for people of colour. I can, however, say that these are the barriers that I've seen put up, but I can't speak for people who have lived through those barriers being thrown up at them. What I can talk about is that there are behaviours that I have seen change and has made and have made the change in introducing a more diverse culture into beer. The first big one, really, is the seeding ground and seeding an area to somebody else doesn't actually take away from yours as a white middle-class woman i am still insanely privileged i have doors open to me that won't be open to people of color they are open to me that won't be open to the lgbtq plus community and that's because although I face a level of bigotry, I don't have the extra layers of, of bigotry that come with, with being members of those communities. So the first thing to realise is that actually, do you know what? This isn't, <laughs> you're not going to suddenly be stormed by a bunch of angry black rainbow flag wearing people and you're all going to lose your job. I mean, this is, this is, the, this is the issue, isn't it? This is, this is the way that people think. It's like, whoa, and, and I've always acted like this. Why do I have to change? And it's like, well, do you remember when your dad was embarrassing to you? And your dad said things that weren't modern. And your dad said, your mum said things that were out of touch. <laughs> Hi, you're now that person. The only problem is, is that now we don't just go, oh, it's a bit of an off-colour joke. We actually say, no, you're a racist. Or no, you're a sexist. Or no, you're a homophobe. And the and the problem is, is that people don't like being called out. You just don't. You don't like being told. Nobody likes being told they're wrong. Anybody who says, oh, yes, I revel in being told I'm wrong is either an idiot or a masochist. And you just can't. You have to sometimes look back and say, it's not that I'm wrong deliberately. It's that I'm wrong by not listening. I'm wrong by not looking. I'm not. I'm wrong by not reading. I'm wrong by not caring. And the biggest thing that I see is obliviousness. So when I was coming through, I was the first full-time professional female beer writer in the UK. There's lots of women who were writing about beer, and there were lots of women who, who had written about beer as part of other things. But I was the first person to really focus on it as my, this is my career. You know, I was, 
I, it was, you know, very much a lot of it was right time, right place. Um, but also insisting that, that and, and insisting that I made a space for myself. And there weren't a lot of people who were willing to help make me make space for me. So I had to bulldoze my way in. And it's a it's a common refrain with a lot of people. It's like, you know, why why are you why are you so aggressive about things? Why are you so belligerent about things? Why are you so foul mouthed on social media? Why do why do you always make a fuss about these things? Um, and just for everybody's amusement, by the way, my all valve completely exploded when I opened it. So I'm currently trying very subtly to, to, to pick some tissues out of a box next to me and mop it up. Anyway, moving swiftly on. Happens to the best of us kids. Um, but the, 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 the issue with having to bulldoze through, and it, it's, it's conversations I've had to have with my family a lot. It's conversations I've had to have with friends. It's like, you know, can't you take your foot off the gas now? Can't you? Can you just... No, you can't. You can't take your foot off the gas. In fact, you've got to keep your foot on the gas. Because if you lose that energy for the fight, as one of the people who, you know, picked the fight in the first place, it's crap for everybody else who's trying to, who's trying to find their way behind you. Because you you have to continually be up there and it's hard and it's difficult and there's some days where somebody sent me something on social media and all I want to do is just throw my computer in the bin and just say well fucking leave them to it but that's one of the things that you've got to do so if you're going to do this and you guys were saying it started off this conversation by with two white middle class nearly middle-aged men um and you said what can you do the answer is, is you can support people. That's the first job you have. The first job you have as, as blokes in the most privileged demographic is you ask the question of how can I help? What can I do to, to make this better? Not what can I do to make this better? not what is the benefit for me what is going to make me look good it's what can I do to make this better and that's where the emphasis should be it shouldn't be on the I it should be on the better and you don't do diversity um Dr Jane Nicole Beckham she gave this most amazing talk at um uh, Cloudwater Family and Friends uh, two years or two and a year and a half ago, whatever it was, um, and should stop doing diversity because otherwise it just becomes a tick box exercise. And that's the thing. If you build a culture from the ground up, and it was something I was making a much more clumsy point in in, in Antwerp, so don't don't worry about that. Well, um, don't worry about missing that. Um, is that the, you can't just say we welcome everybody. You have to actually physically invite them in. And that is a matter of whether you make sure that your hiring policy is extremely inclusive when you have front of house staff, sales staff, uh, whether you make sure that you are reaching out to uh, local communities. One of the big problems that, that is found around the craft beer business 
is that, and particularly where breweries get cited and so on and so forth, is that they're very up, very often in what are known as up and coming areas, which is polite code for gentrification. gentrification. So, what happens then is uh, you're part of the gentrification, you're part of the homogenization of what was previously because of the nature of generally of demographics a significantly more diverse area you're becoming just some other white bloke or white woman who's coming in and opening up a brewery collabing with all your white mates all across the world and not stopping for a minute to turn around and say what is it that makes me welcoming to whether that is a less wealthy demographic whether that's a family demographic whether it was whether it's a the black community demographic you know what is it what is it that i'm missing you know what is it that we're not doing what is it that we're not looking at what is it that we haven't opened our doors to are we going to be just part of another part of the problem of driving people out and eventually what happens, of course, is it becomes ghettoization. So are we part of that problem or can we help by strong employment drives, ensuring that, that this is a community engaged thing by just making sure that you engage with the community that is there as opposed to saying we're going to become a destination venue, then you're already doing the right things. And all of, all of this stuff is really, really bound up in um, a lot of the fights that I had over, over things early doors and still have to, unfortunately. Apparently, people, there are still people out there that seem to think that you can't, you can't sell a beer without, without a pair of tits and a bad joke on, a, on the pump clip. Although, in fairness, it does generally give us all a really good, fairly good idea because I will say that 99.9% .9 of the time the beers are shit. Um, so... <laughs> It, it's, it really is. It's quite. It's actually, in some ways, it's its own bizarre little marker. Um, but the most, in, you know, the the, the the things that I that I had to fight fight against coming through was, you know, working in a solely male dominated arena. There were a few women brewers about the place, but you never saw them out and about, um, and the women who were like quite frequently heads of companies, literally particularly for some of the family companies. You know, there were women who were the managing directors or at least, you know, non-exec with the family name and stuff. You never saw them out and about. You occasionally saw them at a dinner of some description and see them out and about. Um, and there were industry events that I went to, like awards dinners where I walked in and there were um, uh uh, pole dancers, um, topless pole dancers. Uh, I've been uh, had people try to pull me into strip clubs, all that sort of stuff. Um, obviously, the usual handsiness and all that kind of stuff, which unfortunately you kind of take for take take as red um, when you're out late at night with people who've got, who've got skin full of booze, which you shouldn't. And I, there was a lot of, lot of stuff that I let people get away with when I was younger, which would get them a bloody nose these days, probably. Um, and you just sort of, you, you, you realize that actually there was no, but there was no, I was being treated as a novelty. Is that worse? Is that, is that 
worse than being rejected. Yes, because it means you're not, you're not even you're not even being taken seriously as a joke. You know, you're not even you're not even enough to make be laughed at or laughed out of the industry. You're just something there to. I genuinely think that 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 that, that there was an element of oh look we can point to the female beer writer look and then she's got long blonde hair and boobs and things she's fine. Um, so I really I went hang on, no no I don't know I don't like this game. When I realised that I had a really good palate for for judging beer. Um, and went through a really hellish judging session to come out the other side to realise that actually I knew more more than everybody else on the table because I was listening to what my senses were telling me. I just didn't know what professional technical terms to use. So I went around, I went, right, what do I need to read? So I just started reading everything I could get my hands on. And then I went and judged um, the lovely late, Glenn Payne, who I'd judged with a couple of times, who'd become a friend, um, he recommended me to judge in America. Um, that's the first time it's been about, ooh, I think that's knocking on the door of 13, 12, 13 years ago now. And whilst I was starting my education, I realised, my self-education, I realised that how, holy crap, have I got a long way to go. The judging standards in America are off the charts. Like in comparison to here, it's Mickey Mouse here. Com- comparison, no two ways about it. So came back and went right. Okay, what do I need to do? And I'd seen that collaboration brews were just becoming a thing in in the US. Um, and so I spoke to um, uh, Stefano Corsi, who was uh, at the time the head brewer at Thornbridge, and I said, um, "Would you let me come and do a collab with you? Because I've never done a brew day." I was like, yeah, sure, come up to the hall and all that sort of stuff. So I went and did a went and did a, my first collab brew day. Realised that there were so many holes in my knowledge that things that I'd misconstrued just got the wrong end of the stick. Been too embarrassed to ask because I'd been because I'd been in such hostile environments. So at that point, I was like, right, okay. So I've got been over there, but right, I've got areas now I know that I can hit. I've got some people I can talk to who just wanted to help me in the US as opposed to treating me as a as a novelty freak show and, and all this sort of stuff. And, and it really – then I started finding that actually I have more allies over here than I thought. It was just that I was always naturally very defensive because I'd been treated so badly. And as that sort of started to tumble, um, and as actually a lot of blokes started got, I started showing up a lot of men in the industry as actually having all knowledge. They just had the old boys network. People had to take me seriously. Um, and also never backing down and being belligerent and at times being physically loud and aggressive and not letting people get away with shit in to my face and drawing a line and occasionally threatening to punch somebody's lights out because I'm sorry pal but if you think you're getting away with touching me you've got another thing coming and 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 that that really put people in their place I mean it's not it's not I mean it's funny now but when you actually say that to a six foot four rugby playing professional brewer who is who you know is known as an absolute nutcase 
you know, your chances of survival are fairly slim. <laughs> but, but, but you think, well, I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather go down swinging than, than be known as the, you know. And already all the all the rumours were going round. So, oh, you know, she's shagging so and so, and she's shagging so and so, and she's shagging so and so, and she's shagging so and so. I swear to God, if I'd been sleeping with everybody I was supposed to, I would never have had any time to breathe, let alone anything else. <laughs> And, and you have to stand up for that. And my point about all of this is that, that I've always said, no, this is I'm, I, I don't want other women to go through this in the industry. And that sounds terribly self-aggrandizing, but mostly I'm just angry. And nearly everything I've ever done in my career that's driven me forward is because I've been pissed about something. And it's, it's maybe not the healthiest way to live, but it seems to get me through um, and that's what, and, and because I drove that wedge, I was, and, and it cost me, it cost me a lot. It, you know, it, 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 it cost, you know, time, reputation, space, TV producers being told I was difficult to work with, don't book her for this show. Oh, do you know so and so? Oh, she's a right bitch. Oh, no, no, she's a slag. Yeah, it just, you know, I, I know, I know so many stories that happened that where, I was offered opportunities and then suddenly they'd disappear and it was just viciousness. But, and, and I don't want all of that to be in vain for nothing that actually women aren't, aren't able to, you know, keep on leapfrogging far, far beyond anything I could ever dream to achieve in my career. Do you find you know, the, the battles that you, you mentioned that you had at the, kind of at the start of your career, do you find that you still have the same level of those? Are they getting less? Are they getting more folk? Are they getting louder? I, I think I think for some reason I've scared quite a lot of people. <laughs> they don't tend to come for me like they used to. Um, uh, yeah, but I think that I think the thing is is that actually now I'm not a, I'm not a lone voice anymore. Um, and even though I had support, it frequently wasn't very vocal, which was difficult. Um, I will say that um, Tim Hampson, the former chairman of the British, Beer, of British Guild of Beer Writers, um, has always been, for a former chair, I beg your pardon, of the British Guild of Beer Writers, has always been tremendous support. Um, people like Pete Brown, Adrian Tierney Jones um, have always been tremendous. John Keeling um, has always has always been the most tremendous supporter. Roger Protz has always had my back. Um so I've had a lot of a lot of really incredible, incredible support. Um, and actually, I had a, a news editor on the morning advertiser when I worked on that, um, Sally, who was just phenomenal. Um, I can't remember her surname. I can't remember her married name. I feel terrible. <laughs> anyway, um, but the unfortunate thing, of course, there is that that ro- that roll call only includes one woman, um, and. I think we have more of those, but there is still that thing of when people want somebody to sit on a panel or they want somebody to talk or they want to, you know, my name is always nearly always the first name because my name is still the most, one of the most high profile out there. Um, And that, that I really, I I both wanted to change and I still want the work. <laughs> you know, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, it's, it's an incredibly difficult situation to be in, particularly as a freelancer. It's like, yay, other women are getting work. Fuck, where's my work? Um, 
but yeah so it's 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 in, it, it's incredible and you see you've got people like jager doing um you know not only being an absolute kick-ass brewer um uh, she's also doing this incredible stuff on Radio 4 as well. And that's that's really, really pleasing and doing some stuff with the wine show. And that's amazing to see her out there and, and also as a woman of colour as well. And and again, it's that if you can't see, you can't be. Um, and that is a huge part of all of this. And that's why I was talking about you, you being able to, um, making sure, going back to the whole thing of like hiring policies and engagement with the community and stuff like that. It's not about doing diversity. It's about actually being diverse. Um, and if you only see it as a tick box exercise, I'd suggest you actually don't bother doing it at all because my point is that, that if you can't see, you can't be. And that's been, that's been the, I think that's been the difference that I made in the industry. And I think that's the battle I had to win because I know that there are tens, potentially into the hundreds of women who have approached me over the last sort of six, seven years, maybe eight years, saying, I'm really pleased to meet you. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be in the industry. I read Let Me Tell You About Beer um, and it actually opened my eyes because it wasn't somebody trying to force a brown beer on me that I didn't like. I actually went and tried things for myself and I found the beers that I loved. Or um, thank you so much. I was at one of your talks and my boyfriend's always driving me mad to try the beers that he likes. Or my dad's always trying to get me to do this. And actually, when I tried that beer that you you explained in a way that I, I got it, it actually allowed me to be able to go, no, 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 I don't like that bit, but I like that bit. I like that. There's a beer that I like. Find me more of those beers. Uh, or whether it's actually I was a bit scared to get into the beer industry because I, I saw it was quite sexist. And then I saw you tearing somebody a new one on, on social media and not putting up with any of their crap and thought, well, actually, do you know what? If I stand up a little bit, she'll have my back. That's kind of, that, that's, that has been the difference that just one person has made. Now, if you think about if we all do little pieces like that, then I won't have to fight any any of those fights anymore. Other people won't have to fight those fights anymore. And the industry will be a hell of a lot better for it. But, yeah, I'm still trying to get people to take tits off the pump. <laughs> it, uh, it is bizarre that that still happens. In in a in a world where the social media and the Twitter firestorm that descends upon people who get something wrong, you know, have we gotten to the point where that is no longer as helpful as it once was? Because it perhaps drives people to not ever uh, express themselves, or um, it, it actually. Uh, puts people to a position where they, they retrench and they say, oh, we've learned. But they haven't learned. What they've learned is that sales have dried up and they haven't actually changed their attitude. Um, I'm wondering, you know, I, I don't know if it's correct or not, but I'm just wondering, is 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 it too hot to handle at times where you don't get an opportunity to actually learn? What you do is you get shut down and you learn to shut up. I, well, this, this has the stench of a certain American brewery about it, to be honest. But, uh, um <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I think what the, I think the problem is that people are willing to forgive, but you got to do it right. You got to do it honestly. You've got to do it openly. I try to deal with everything with as much integrity as I know how. So I I, I always forget that that people aren't inside my head. There are some people inside there, but we talk about that another time. Um, but uh, it's 
it's just, you know, it, it, you can't always expect people to read your minds. And what I tend to do, I nearly always, 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 unless it's, it's so egregious, there's no point. So I really, really try to talk to breweries before I go public. I try to contact them and say, look, guys, this is a problem. If you can't see how it's a problem, I'm just going to explain to you why it's a problem. I can understand that potentially this was a great joke at five o'clock in the morning and everybody was having a, a roaring great time, all the lads together. And then suddenly in the cold light of day, you didn't stop to think about how if you put yourself in the place of a either a woman having to serve that beer or a woman having to go up to the bar and order that beer, or just a woman standing next to a bloke who's clapped eyes on the pump clip and thinks it's a great opportunity to make a terrible joke, in inverted commas. You're not thinking about how that might potentially impact other people because you've never had to. On that point, you kind of referenced a certain American brewery and another certain American brewery kind of got called out uh, over the last two weeks as well for like a systematic um, chain of, of ignoring issues in the company of, of harassment. But that, I would say that if I saw that bottle of beer on the shelf, I'm not going to buy it because I know what has gone on. And I'm lucky enough that I'm in the industry and I follow people on Twitter that I know this. But I would say the vast majority of my mates who, who buy craft beer and really enjoy it won't have a clue. They they are completely oblivious to it. Is there more that the, the middle people, the distributors, the people who can control that can have a bigger impact as well? Yeah, I th well, I think um, uh, well, I think that people are beginning to vote with their feet on stuff like that. I know that there's a um, a beer company over here who's bringing in. An American brewery that's had issues with racism there hasn't handled well, um, hasn't addressed properly, and is in fact doing its best ostrich impression. And that has really everybody was like, "Yay! These people are bringing in Sierra Nevada fresh, and it's amazing!" And oh my god, and this, that, and the other. And then it's like, "Oh, they're bringing in founders." Does anybody else know anybody else who's bringing in fresh American beer? Um, and I just think that, do you know what, that, you know, and, and, and I was like, oh my God, am I going to be able to write about Sierra Nevada again in, in UK publications? Oh, it's going to have to be for a really serious reason because I really don't want to promote somebody who's comfortable working with this kind of company. And I don't care that they're, the, the thing is, is that you can reassure all of your distributors all you like about, you know, oh, no, no, we've got this under control, we're doing this, we're doing that. If you're not talking to the community who helped build your business, who is either impacted by events like this or who are empathetic towards the community who are impacted by this, or stand with the community, then what on earth are you thinking? You know, it, it's just another way to sell beer. And whilst I'm not saying that you know beer should be the world's most ethical product, and you know, it'd be lovely if it was. Actually, the whole point about beer is it's a social lubricant, and if you can't even bring yourselves to give a shit about the society that you're selling your beer to, what are you even doing? Fuck off and sell rivets. <laughs> uh, the headline for me for this article is fuck off and sell rivets <laughs> uh, um, 
to be fair, I did know about founders to to a certain extent, uh, and and found that to be an absolute textbook example of how not to try and correct a mistake. It, it, Making it worse, pouring petrol on the fire via HR speak. Oh, did I, 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 I'm pretty sure that they're actually just throwing <laughs> nuclear bombs at it now. I, I, they, went, they went, they went on a spree of blocking every single um, like beer writer or high-profile social media beer person who criticised them, I mean, like, wholesale. And rather understandably, it was fairly skewed towards towards people of colour who were criticising. So it just got to the point where it just go, you're literally just blocking black people now. This is not going to help. And then suddenly the next day, everybody was unblocked. It's like, and they just refused. It's like, shh. If we just stay really quiet and really still, they won't see us. It's just, it's, it's amazing. It's literally like hiding your face behind your hands, behind your hands to a baby. I think they think this is how hide and seek works. It's amazing. I think what's even more amazing is that both of those breweries have heavy, heavy investment from major international players as well. I just thought that there would be somebody on the plane from Spain you know, literally would fly over and just go, lads, you're fucking it up. Stop. Apologize. Hold your hands up and we'll deal with the crap later. And it never happened. I mean, honestly, if I was San Miguel, I would have just gone, right. How many people have we got in Spain who can speak English fluently, who we who aren't doing absolute key roles right now. See the Who Airlines over there, go and get on it. And you just go in and go, you, 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 you suspect. There's your stuff, which you can do in the States, of course. Boom. Did you have a last question from Melissa before we turn off the recording and we can just have some beer and talk some shite? Uh, no, man. What, what was just kind of like your, your main hope that, let's say, um, many, 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 many years to come, you're signing off with your final article or your final um, look back on your whole career as a beer writer? Where do you like? Where do you hope that the industry will be at that point that you can write this retrospective of? You know, you've told us about where you started all the battles. What's your hope that in that article that you're you're signing off and you're going? You know what? This is this is everything it should be? Or do you still think there will always be a little bit of that entrenched um, misbehavior by certain elements? Well, you know, there's always going to be pricks. Um, But to be honest, all of this just really genuinely comes back to professionalism. It's not professional to be a racist. It's not professional to be a sexist. Because quite honestly, it's stupid. It's limiting. Why are you alienating markets? And I know that's a really awful and venal way to look at it. But that is the cold, hard facts of capitalism. On an emotional side, I hope that there's less tribalism. um, And I hope that, that really... 
I do know the that sort of circle jerk mentality that I was talking about earlier is broken because that's that is one of the least helpful things that I think exists in beer at the moment is that there's so many breweries that do nothing but big each other up when they have absolutely no need to be bigged up anymore and one of the things I will say is uh, the whilst Cloudwater um, and Paul have you know have their faults continue to not get everything right um, but that's okay because what they're trying to do really hard is to support communities I mean, I think the, the consistency of, of, of doing great things like um, the, the Wayfinder project that they're doing with, with, with uh, the Queer Brewing uh, Company and now the Burham Collective and then shooting themselves in the foot by bringing Jay Wakefield in is, is you know, sort of all of these things. It's like, yes, oh, but, but do you know what? Doing something, actually doing something, actually putting money where the mouth is. And that's... Uh, that's something where I mean I'm incredibly grateful that the internet wasn't as prevalent when I was starting so I put my foot in it left right and centre I probably said some things that are easily misconstrued or or the wrong way round or not quite what I meant to say or not as thought out as I should have done in this but you know at least there's something being done you know at least there's some action and the more people who actually stop being scared of alienating a very small vocal minority within the beer bubble the more people they will reach and the more lives they will touch and the more that they will change so my my big thing is that i hope people lose a lot of fear i hope people lose a lot of tribalism i hope a lot of the rhetoric that exists in society particularly in this very distressing period for about the last sort of eight six eight years I, I i sincerely hope that a lot of that goes away i think it's going to be problematic for some time to come but hopefully also i'll be working for some time to come <laughs> a bit more time to come um and i would just i would just very much like that the, there was just a more holistic view of what a beer consumer can be what a, somebody who works in the brewing industry can be and what the industry as a whole can be. And that, for me, is is really, I just really want that idea, again, going back to what Dr. J said, was don't do diversity. Actually just make it fucking happen by your actions. Because words don't mean shit if you don't back them up with actions. I, I, I saw a quote. Um, I'm sure it's probably cliched at this stage, but, you know, uh, diversity was being invited to the party. Inclusion was being asked to dance. Even for a simpleton like me, I kind of immediately got the difference. Yeah. Yeah. There's a difference between being welcoming people and actually inviting them. More than a welcome, as Melissa Cole uh, said in the Brewers of Europe Forum uh, 2019. Antwerp. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me on. It's an it's an absolute privilege and a pleasure. Privilege has been ours, I assure you. Mm-hmm.
as ever, always an absolute joy to speak to Melissa, uh, forthright as ever in her opinions. But I was struck a number of times, Foxy, in, in what Melissa said about the impact that um, people's lack of thought and consideration can have on their overall business. Sometimes that's very obvious. Other times it strikes me that although I'm not on Twitter very much, it only seems to be a passing you know, Twitter firestorm or um, I, I don't know what the right term is. Uh, but essentially, somebody will do something. Lots of people on Twitter would seem to get annoyed about it for a very brief period of time. But does it actually have any lasting impact on the businesses, do you think? Uh, it's a good question because I, I love Twitter. I, I use Twitter quite a bit, but a lot of times it is like shouting into a giant void. Um, and the thing about you said about the firestorm. So, yes, it explodes massively. But the following day, there's another firestorm about something else. And again, I think because I work in the alcohol industry, I follow a lot of people within that industry. I'm probably getting that news quicker than it filters through to the local off-license manager or the sales rep for a particular product who may not be as engaged with that level of Twitter anger or, or positivity if it's a good thing as well you know if somebody like Cloudwater I mentioned at the start of it do a diversity fund um, that should be shouted about a little bit more by every step of that chain process delivery sales thing but I think uh, distribution is, is hard you know you, you work hard to get your distribution in different countries different markets um, I think people at the last step of that distribution don't ask very many questions outside of flavour um, so every brand has a story to tell you always hear the story that the brand wants you to tell. You never hear the stuff that might be a little bit shady in the background. And it it, it is a big ask, but I think it is worth retailers taking stock of what they sell and asking, like, does this company actually fit my values as a retailer, as somebody who is in the community to service the community? You know, if, if a brewery or a distillery or a coffee company or whatever else is blatantly uh, homophobic or transphobic or anti-women or whatever it may be, is that a product that you want to sell across your counter? Because consumers are quite possibly not aware of it. You as the retailer probably have to do the research, otherwise you're not going to be aware of it. The guy selling in the box or case or whatever it may be may not be aware of it. So it's on all of us really to do a little bit more research on what we're consuming. This time on our desert island, I'm delighted to say that we have Ned Gahan. Uh, Ned is the head distiller for Waterford um, Distillery, who are based in the southeast of Ireland. A, a place you're familiar with, Fox? A place I'm very familiar with, but also a distillery I'm quite familiar with as well. No, I'm really excited to see what, what Ned is going to say, because he's going to be stranded on a desert island. But for anybody who doesn't know Waterford whiskey, it's all about the terroir of the barley. So each whiskey is quite unique because it uses different barley, and they have absolutely scientifically proved that, yes, terroir has a role to play in the flavour of the whiskey. He's going to be on a desert island. Outside of coconuts, I'm not entirely sure what he's going to be able to do with terroir. Well, I think uh, in Ned's particular case, uh, he's bringing the terroir with him. Uh, as you'll hear from his answer, uh, you can take Ned out of Waterford, but you can't take Waterford out of Ned. Uh, if you're going to take one drink to a desert island, uh, what would it be and why? Uh, alcoholic or non-alcoholic. <laughs> Uh, it's your choice completely. I mean, uh, let's we will assume that there's ample drinking water on the yeah, island, okay. so you, you can choose something else to supplement the drinking water. I, I, I quite like my tea. 
<laughs> which is probably not the right answer. But uh, yeah, no, I do like my cup of tea. I suppose that would be my uh, go to drink uh, rather rather than an, an alcoholic. But uh, if I was to go for alcohol, it probably would be uh, it would be I, I, I like a pint of Smithix uh, for for a beer and uh, for for um, um, a whiskey or a gin or a vodka. I, I, I there's a few that I'd like, but if I was to go for one, what would it be? It would probably be. Uh, I like the black bush. I have to say, I'm a, I like black bush. Oh yeah, uh, it's just you know, it's you know, it's not. I think people might go for you know some of the more expensive uh, drinks or whatever. But yeah, I, I, I'm simple taste. I like the simple things. So, uh, tea, smidix, and a black bush. Ah, oh, it sounds sounds great. Can I ask just about the tea? Just just because it's it's a curious one. Yeah. Um. Do you have any particular preference? I do. You, do you go for you know a particular brand oh, yeah. or well, limes and berries? But probably at the moment it's berries for some reason. Yeah. Just um, I like I like the berries, but and then it, it varies on strength. I would drink tea from not quite uh, dishwater to tar, but I, I'm I'm easy enough going and depending on I suppose. Uh, the mood or, or what kind of tea I'm looking for, it could be a bit stronger. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's a bit unusual, but I do like the cup of tea. I kind of, um, yeah, I think everything goes well with a cup of tea. Don't like coffee. Don't like coffee, actually. Really don't like coffee. Uh, yeah. So, um, there you go. Well, I have to say I love the aroma of coffee, but I'm not a coffee drinker. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes the aroma, yeah, even coffee cake now, I wouldn't like yeah, I'm a staunch uh, anti-coffee person. <laughs> All right. Well, um, what I, I what I like about tea is uh, a buddy of mine uh, used to describe his tea. He said, "How do you want your tea?" He said, "I want it so strong that uh, a mouse could trot across the top." Yes, of it. yes, yeah. I, I've had tea like that. I did. I, I did actually. Uh, I worked for a little while in my youth uh, in school holidays in a piggery, and oh, yeah. and we had we used to have tea, and the teapot was was. It was black tar, and the tea out of it was just lovely. And the conditions we were in there weren't hectic, but the people that had the um, had the piggery also the relations had a, a bakery, and uh, they used to get the blaze there. So one of my fondest meals is uh, a cup of tea from that pot teapot with a blah, some butter, and tato crisps. Uh, <laughs> sitting on a crate it, it doesn't sound attractive but uh, it, it tasted damn good and you know I, I think sometimes whiskey uh, sometimes we don't get tastes we get memories you know so uh, yeah so that's my that's my kind of tea memory <laughs> Anybody who doesn't know what a blah is, um, can you explain, Foxy? Yes, a blah is a particular type of bread roll, which has, I think, UN protection status as a cultural heritage. Like, like it is a phenomenal piece of bread. Like, uh, it has geographic indicator status. Which is phenomenal for a bread roll. Yeah, it, like, it's a big flowery bap. But it's good. It's a really good flowery bap. Like, like, you know, you cut that open, stick in a couple of sausages, bacon... Some tato. Some tato, as t- as Ned mentioned as well. And I think um, Ned's description of the teapot as well, I thought was uh, evocative in the extreme. 
but I did like what he said about you know flavor being tied to memory as well. So I could just imagine him sitting back on his deck chair out in the beach on that desert island, cup of tea in hand, just reminiscing about the piggery. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I'm also delighted that Ned was uh, so magnanimous in his selection of drinks, uh, tea, Smithics and Blackbush, um, but he uh, he didn't uh, plug his own drinks, but I will for him. Uh, the Waterford whiskies, uh, since they've launched last year, have achieved a phenomenal degree of success. Um, their first cuvee. Uh, sold out very very quickly and in fact all of all of their releases are proving to be exceptionally popular so if you can get your hands on one of the beautiful blue waterford whiskey bottles uh, highly recommend that you do and again look at the story behind your bottle as well because each bottle has a really cool individual story behind it from where the seed was grown in the ground to start off the process thank you very much for listening don't forget to download us in all the usual places where you get all your podcasts hit subscribe Thank you for listening to The Business of Beverages. It's been our pleasure to bring you this episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe and recommend us to one other friend or colleague. As ever, we are independently produced and self-funded, so we appreciate your support in listening, sharing, or reviewing this podcast. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter, where we go by at bizbevpod. If you'd like to support us further, you can find us on buymeacoffee.com forward slash bizbevpod. Fuck off and sell rivets. Uh, The headline for me for this article is fuck off and sell rivets. (laughs)